Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a very special episode of the Squiggly Careers podcast. We've been talking about Squiggly Careers for around 10 years now, and we're nearly at 400 episodes, so we thought it was an amazing opportunity to get some incredible guests together to share their advice, ideas, and words of wisdom with you, live from the Curzon Cinema at Soho. We're going to be talking about three topics, meaning, motivation, and money. Three things that I think are important for all of us, probably all at the same time. We hope you enjoy the conversation. for being here everybody in case you don't know because I feel like if you listen to the podcast you just hear our voices and you maybe don't know which one is which they know do you think do you think <laughs> they know <laughs> um, yeah thank you I'm Helen that's Sarah um harsh friendly um yeah. <laughs> Come and chat to me. Come and chat to Sarah later at the bar. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's been so long since we've got kind of the Squiggly Careers audience together. Um, I think the last time was when we did the launch for You Coach You, which is a little bit sad because you had COVID for the I first did. one who did. Um, and yeah, it was a bit, it's a bit weird doing Squiggly without Sarah. Um, so I'm very, very happy that we are here together with all of you. And today it marks a bit of a special moment for us. So it is 10 years since the start of all things Squiggly Careers, since Sarah and I, we were in Paddington and we were sort of talking about our careers because that's the kind of geeky thing that we do. And um, we were just talking about work and how work was going for us. And Sarah drew a squiggle on the paper and said, our careers are feeling a bit like this. And then we just sort of ran with it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really know where the confidence came from to like start helping people with squiggly careers or to create a podcast or to write a book or to do a bit. I'm not sure where the where it came naive, from. Naive, I think. Na naive, yeah, naive. Um, but we did it, and it kept going, and it kept growing, and now it's, you know, it's many things. It's a podcast that's just achieved 4 million downloads. Very exciting. Um, it's, thank you. Well, it's, it's all of you. It's basically, you're listening an awful lot. Thank I you. I don't ever listen, so. <laughs> you know, you never listen. I'm like, I listen to the podcast this week, and we say so and like a lot. That's normally my, my feedback. And it's books, and it's a business, and we never could have imagined that would be what it is. And thank you for all of your, all of your support, being here tonight, the support that you give us in sharing. And so tonight, Squiggly Careers Live, we have got three brilliant guests. So you're not going to hear loads from us tonight, actually. 
we wanted to give you some learning because it wouldn't be a Squiggly Careers podcast if we didn't help you learn and take action. So we are going to be talking to Anna, who you probably know as Mother Pucker. We're going to be talking to Lucy, who's the founder of an amazing business called Never Fully Dressed. And we're going to be talking to Peter, who is a financial expert who is going to help us talk confidently about getting a pay rise. Um, <laughs> and so, those other things. Yeah, and many other things, but, you know, priorities, everyone. Um, so we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. We'll introduce them properly as we go. Uh, but that is the plan for this evening. And just before we do get started, we do want to just take a moment to really recognise all of you, because all of those things that we have just talked about just wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have been possible if you hadn't all gone out there and shared Squiggly and recommended it and told your friend and told your sister and told your boss. Uh, those things make a massive difference to us. It's how we've been able to scale Squiggly. Um, so much good stuff has come from the sponsorship and advocacy that you have all shown us. So we do really want to recognise that. We don't take any of it for granted and just really appreciate it. I still kind of can't believe that given the majority of the podcasts, we don't look like this. Uh, Helen always looks quite glamorous, but I'm usually in my pyjamas. Um, sometimes with a G&T. It depends how the day's gone. Tea. I reckon when yeah. we first started the podcast, yeah, you, off, you had a cup of tea and a dressing gown. No, it's gown. a gin and tonic. That is what's happened in the last... Uh, <laughs> that's what she has done to me. That, that, me? That, that is not me. And my six-year-old. Yeah. So, yeah. Though, to be fair, Anna got me through having that six-year-old six years ago. So <laughs> that's another story. But we do really want to just um, say thank you and how much we do, we do appreciate it. We read every review. We appreciate every recommendation. Every time somebody pops up on LinkedIn and says, oh, have you seen this squiggly career book? Or when someone's talking about, oh, careers are a bit different, and one of you is on LinkedIn going, like, kind of quite passively aggressively, which I really enjoy. Have you heard about Squiggly? Because I think you'll find they've already done this. Um, they are my favourite moments in a day. I'm screen they're, they're the WhatsApps that I get. I'm screenshotting. I'm like, oh, someone else doing the hard work for us. Uh, so we absolutely love that. So thank you. So the theme for this evening is money, motivation and meaning. And we're going to be talking about all of those three topics uh, with each of our guests. Um, so I'm going to swap Sarah for Anna, which I've wanted to do for a while. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, so can you welcome our first guest on the stage? Anna's coming up now. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna, for being on the Squiggly Chris podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, for people that don't know, Anna is well, many things, but an author and an activist, the creator of the Flex Appeal campaign, which is all about making flexibility for all. And I feel like your work has impacted me at multiple points in my squiggly career, which you don't know, but I'm going to now tell you and embarrass you. Um, so uh, Flex Appeal and Motherbucker started in 2015. Uh, that was the year that my, my son was born, Henry, got my first child. And I felt really thankful that I was working for a really flexible company. I was working for Virgin and they gave me a lot of support. And I suddenly quite quickly realised that that wasn't the norm when I saw your work and I talked to my friends about the problems that they were having about being a parent and managing that with their working responsibilities. And then I went to then work for Microsoft and I started this community called the New Work Network where we were talking about accelerating the adoption of flexible work practices, particularly in large companies. And then I went from that to being a trustee of working families, which is all about parents and carers and helping them to kind of manage this mix of their life. And over and over again, the person that was referenced in those conversations and in those communities and in those meetings was Anna, uh, the work of Mother Pucker, the campaign of Flex Appeal, the, the drive that you were doing to kind of make a difference. It was, it was your name that kept coming up all the time. And so I'm really excited to talk about 
that that work and kind of what you've achieved. But also, I think the thing that has really stuck out to me is the impact that an individual can make. I feel like a lot of the time we assume that making a difference is the role of institutions or organisations because they've got scale. But I think what you have proven in your work is that with passion and pur purpose and perseverance, actually an individual can make a huge, a huge amount of difference. And I think that is something that has inspired me and I'm really excited to kind of share it with people today. So thank you. Well, I think have a big moment for what you've achieved here. Let's have a big round of applause, please. <laughs> I, I don't think you can underestimate having someone voice, I think, sometimes the pain. And they are pain points with work and family, you know, trying to balance the two. And you've definitely done that, that sort of EQ that was needed along the way. You helped me too. Oh, I love this. People helping people, everybody. Yeah. Remember that chapter in the book? It's, it's, in, it's, on, it's on your seats, it's on your seats. Um, so let's talk a bit about pride. I mean, I have been obviously following uh, Anna on Instagram for a long time, and there are loads of pride moments in, like, the last week alone, um, including some great outfits but I'll part, I'll part of that for now and um, looking at all of the work that you have done and all the different things that you have achieved what like points of pride really stand out for you um I mean I'm gonna just preface this with the fact I forgot to put a bra on today um <laughs> and I'm wearing quite a sheer dress so um before we go into pride um just think if anything slips just uh, <laughs> let's sit with that we'll let you know thankfully yeah. mainly it's an audio only format These great the, the okay great <laughs> Um, I think, do you know what? It's not necessarily a moment. Uh, I think none of us could, you know, you can get a promotion, you can get more money, you can maybe, you know, get an accolade or achievement. I think what it is, if we're talking about purpose, is I know when I'm raising my two little girls, uh, they're 10 and 6, that I'm raising them, you know, to work hard in their ABCs, their GCSEs perhaps, perhaps A-levels if that's where they go, perhaps a degree, their first job. I think that juncture of getting your first job is the most pivotal moment in your life. Like, what that's was your when... first job? I know, was it oh, journalism? Oh, God, was it? No, was it was it? a journalist. I was a... I was a junior reporter on Practical Caravan magazine. Ooh, it's a sexy stuff. That would be the moment. Uh, and I soon was um, amplified to the role of senior reporter on Practical Motorhome. So, um, wow. And I All think, the motoring things. I think one should question if there's ever an impractical caravan. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think what it, that moment of pride is probably from the moment where I knew I wasn't raising them for the same fool that I had which was when I left my job at the L'Oreal Group, um, didn't leave because I wasn't worth it. Uh, still work for them. I've just done a campaign with Garnier. You know, there's no bad blood. They were representative of a lot of industries, a lot of businesses that had this stock phrase that I think we've all heard. When I asked for that little bit of flexibility in the workforce, well, if we do it for you, we're going to have to do it for other people. It's going to open the floodgates. And I remember thinking, well, open them. Uh, because people are drowning behind them. And so a moment of pride is going home to my daughters knowing it won't be distinctly different, but the moment that I got pregnant, my life, my working life changed and went into free fall. And I know that that gap, hopefully that gender pay gap, that pensions gap, that pleasure gap, all the gaps, the gaping holes of inequality by all of us being in rooms like this, talking, amplifying, we're closing those gaps. So yeah, it's not going to be immaculate when my girls get into the workplace, but you know that fall that I had uh, won't be quite as high. Uh, so that's, you know, 
you can win all the awards in all the world, but it's it's a bigger picture. It's structural change. And like, ah, <laughs> I love it. Um, so structural change, pride being the future that you're creating for your family, who are you know ten and six at the moment. That's potentially a long way off. Like we're we're not you know not very distant future, but it's not it's not tomorrow. So how right, do you calling me out? Just, <laughs> do my best, babe. I'm following it. I'm following <laughs> the new question. New question coming up. Um, but like. When you've got a goal that's so big, like flexibility for all, yeah. the thing that you're proud of as a future you're creating for your family, how do you sort of see successes that are more short-term and how do you celebrate them? You know, to keep your motivation and keep your momentum. Like that, You've got this massive zoom out goal, but what are the things that you zoom into so that you can see the progress that you're already making? It's connecting with, to be honest, right now, everybody in this room. It's everybody knowing that they're not alone in the things they've gone through. Uh, it's that every day I hear maybe a message from somebody saying, I felt whether it's through squiggly careers, whether it's through Flex Appeal, whether it's through Working Families, Fawcett Society, all these organisations that are committed to turning the dial on that inequality that sits in the workplace. And I think the moment... The moments that really sit with me, I spoke about this on Instagram, was uh, it's not about necessarily women saying, oh, I've just managed to get that job and, and look after my children. It's actually the men going, I've just been able to flipping parent at work. It's the inversion of what we're sort of fighting for that gives me the most pride, gives me these moments of going, this is not about going, right, you know, women have it hard and men need to sit in the corner. It's about a guy who got in touch with me a couple of months ago and he said, I put my flexible working request into my boss. Uh, my boss in a magic circle law firm said, well, can't, can't your wife do that? Can't your wife pick up the kid? And he was like, well, my wife's a brain surgeon. Um, so um, yes, she can maybe, but let's pick a lane here between legislation and brains. Um, but it was the, I was gonna say unconscious bias, just bias that even sits there in those big places. And all he wanted to do was parent. So I think, it's those human connections like Accenture now, after all the work that thousands of us are doing, it's not just one person, there's not just one organization that's doing this, it's noise from a collective whole. Uh, is just knowing that that noise is affecting change within one industry, you know? I'll give you one other example. This is stuff that's happening in 2023. A HR assistant got in touch with me recently and she said, I found a list of 15 women's names on an Excel spreadsheet within our server. And I said, these are all women who've just got married. Are we sending them flowers? What are we doing with this? They were women who weren't up for promotion because of fear they might get pregnant. And that's 2023. And I hear when you say the good bits, like I've just felt empowered to go in and ask for flexible working. The stuff that gets me out of bed is moments like that. The chilling nature of that is a boss going, can't you missus do it? Well, no, I want to do it. You know, there's nothing more masculine than a man caring for his child. That is what I would say to that. And I get a lot of clapping. I love it. I love it. God, this is really validating. This is what I asked Sarah to do for me. Oh, I actually brought a picture my daughter drew of me before coming here um, because she, she knew, she said, oh, you're doing a big talk. And they know, they know what it's all about. And it's really, really representative of... <laughs> 
This, it feels just... But the thing I liked Beautiful. about it, if you talk about pride, is this is all a bit chaotic. Uh, and, I, and that's apparently, like, my, my head when I lose my temperature. Got which, it. Uh, lose, is, yeah, got it. As in, this is just the cuddles bit. But this I liked. You know, if we're talking about moments of pride, is that's the tree trunk, the solidarity. And I think, you know, we constantly think that we're failing, that we're somehow never doing enough, that a child's crying at nursery when we have to leave for that moment to start the working day, that we're shushing them and say, just a minute, just a minute. Who here has said, just a minute to your child? Show of hands. Yeah, okay, just a minute. And then you go, just a second. And then they're going, but it's been one second. And you're like, all right, just a five hours. And you're in this constant state and actually you think, God, I'm shushing them and I'm, blocking you know floods over there and my husband and I are not getting on and it feels so heavy but then when you see a little picture like that ignoring the top half um <laughs> you're like you are their stability you know whether you are stay at home or work away really take purpose and pride in the fact you're their tree trunk you know your roots are there whether you're at home or not Oh, I love that. I love that you brought it with you as well. Yeah, I know. I just thought, you know, guilty that I've not got a picture. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. some extra mother guilt that going in I, there. I drew it myself. Okay, just great, great, great story, yeah. Anna. I don't, I, don't, I don't see my kids. Uh, they think I'm a tree trunk too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I just want to go back to like the the communications you get about the positive impact that you make, but also the difficult things that people are facing, and they come to you because you listen and you're there and you're advocating for them. And have you come across this concept of transfer? No. Uh, hey, so um, coaches are kind of taught about this, which is where when you're coaching somebody who might be going through a tough time, transference is when you basically like absorb their emotions. So you kind of want to help them, but retain a level of distance, which means that you can still be objective. But obviously, if you're kind of high empathy and you're also hearing a lot of sort of difficult stories, that, that's hard. Like it's hard to keep that boundary up. And I'm thinking that you... You must get emailed. You must, you know, your Instagram messages. People will probably stop you when you're outside and say, oh, this has happened and isn't it unfair? And how do you protect your energy so that you can support people at scale when on an individual level people are connecting with you and wanting your advice? I think that's a really good question. It's one that's quite a common denominator, I think, across everybody. Um, it took me a long time to realise that for fighting for flexible working, I was burning out. Uh, I was probably the least flexibly working person out there because, I mean, I was just on the floor most of the time. And what I did is I started looking at the structure of my day. And I remember the first time I did it, you know, uh, almost like an out-of-office that you put in a digital marker almost. I would say at sort of 5pm, I'm out of office. And I wrote, doing bath time, being slowly sort of bored to death by Eagle Piggle. Uh, like, and I humanised my out of office so that there was a picture. It wasn't corporate. It wasn't uh, a bookend that was distant. It was, I am a mother. Front and foremost, I'm a mother. And that only happened, I think, maybe six, seven months ago, putting these little holders in communicating in a digital sphere that I'm not there in this world that's 24-7, save my mind a bit. I got my daughters to create a devices box. So we bought a little wooden box and they painted it uh, with smiley faces and all kinds of things. And every day we put our phones in there at that point. It doesn't always work. I'm not saying it does, but seeing that box that they've created, the guilt when you go onto your phone. You're Just like, going to get my phone out of the yeah. beautiful box you've created. And they'd be looking at it going, shame, shame. <laughs> um, and so I started ring fencing things a bit. And I think 
in the way that we all can. So when we're working from home, for example, definitely something I did in the pandemic, an incredible scientist posted her routine from working from home. She would get up, get showered, get dressed as if she was going to the office, walk around the block and then come to her laptop. And she'd do that psychologically to just go start of my day and then again bookend it with out of office. I'm, you know, in the sort of trenches of Eagle Piggle and I'm a mother too and it's humanizing the workforce uh something I meant to say earlier was Accenture now higher based on EQ as well as IQ and I think that's a world that we're going to and I think the more that we put those human placeholders in like leaving loudly uh Robert Reitbrook from PepsiCo uh, he implemented this policy within his team. It costs nothing. It's so basic. And he just said to his team, when you leave, don't do the sloping out and putting your coat on the chair and going to the toilet and never coming back. Like, that's not a way to work uh, as a team. Own it. I'm off to pick up May. Uh, I mean, unless you've got to see a, a personal gynecological appointment. Um, like, I'm sure there's some lines on that. Off to see the specialist. Obviously. But I think it's the using of your voice and the confidence in your role as a caregiver, perhaps. It doesn't have to be just parenting. It could be that you want to go and see your boyfriend. There is, I think that there's this expectation that uh, working in a healthy way is the sole reserve of parents. No, it should be for everyone. Um, my fight has never been, actually, for any of the human reasons we're speaking about. It has been for business benefit. It's been for cold hard cash because when you actually empower your workforce good ones not the bad ones you know i've said this over and over how often have you seen flexible working being implemented and there's one person at home in their undercrackers watching homes under the hammer uh, and they bring the whole thing down because then you suddenly give you know a chink in the armor and your boss can go well it didn't work for us because you know he was watching homes in the hammer in his under undercrackers Actually, that employee probably was stalking his ex, you know, on Instagram or Facebook in the office. So recruitment's a really big point here. But when you are good at your job, and there's a hell of a lot of talent in here, own that bit of you. Really, right now, own your talent. Own it. Sit with it. Don't see it as a secondary thing. It is huge. And then on the other side of that, own your caregiving role. Give them equal mental weight. Really hold that you know and that's you see the conflict that we're on every day so we can hold that in this room but employers businesses the working world even now after a pandemic that's bulldozed the working world as we knew it uh the world isn't set up for that but you know there's strength in numbers there's strength in this room there's strength in this podcast there's voices that are rising own those two parts of your life don't creep out of the office embarrassed that you're going to pick up your child from nursery and you know and I think there's a huge power shift that happens when people come together, like collectively to do that. So as an individual sort of pioneering that approach, that can feel quite difficult. Like that you have been an individual pioneering that approach. But when a community come together and say, well, this is now the way we want to work, then that suddenly creates a very different power shift, I think, with how companies approach this and so so on that point of community because I think you you have like galvanized a community you've got like 450,000 followers furious women yeah, furious furious like, we demand change but great I've got 97% right? uh, women following me so if there's any guys in the room I'd really appreciate because it's, it's kind of it's kind of like preaching to the converted you know we're all just angry blue bottles in a jar and I actually really need 
I need it to, I really, my aim is to get it 50-50, yeah. you know? Um, and I saw that, I was obviously reading some things that you've been talking about recently and this kind of shift from flexible working to inclusive working. And like, this is for everybody. Like this benefits businesses, like men, women, it benefits everybody. But that point on community, how do you think you have created that community? Have you given them a cause? Is that what the cause they needed? That's what they got behind. And what advice have you got for other people who want to create a community around something that's meaningful to them, whether it's flexible working or, or something, you know, squiggly careers, or whatever they want to do? Like, what have you learned about creating a community? I think I became an accidental activist, you know, and I think that says quite a lot. I remember... On Instagram, I had 62 followers and I was posting about avocado toast for quite a while. I do like avocado toast. This was, this is, that dates us, right? That was, you know, <laughs> I don't know, throwback Thursdays were a thing in the day. And uh, I remember actually hitting a pain point where I had to leave my job because uh, I couldn't make it work. Through inflexibility, you know, all I'd asked for from the L'Oreal group was to come in 15 minutes earlier and leave 15 minutes earlier. And I just think, uh, I often look at them and every, if you ask about any success, I'm not going just well done me. I'm going, look what you lost. You know, that's actually, I think, what I see those moments as is I could have been working for you, could have been flogging your mascara, but here we are. And I think in terms of community, I uh, think don't be afraid of using your voice with, and this is an important point with, an empathetic purpose, because my point has never been to lambast businesses. I will never lambast men. I love men. I want to bring men in so that they can actually turn the dial on what they want. Uh, you know, my partner, my ex-partner and I, obviously flex working didn't work out for us. Um, <laughs> he's great. And we still do talks together because... Um, he wanted his voice in the conversation. He's like, I'm a great dad. I love dadding. And I hate that the working world finds it emasculating that I want to care for my own child. The conversation is very much on those two sides of the coin. And I think to any advice I could give, it's better in a case study, is at HSBC, a wonderful uh, HR assistant reached out to me and she said, I just feel so, like, voiceless. Like, I see incredible women disappearing at that juncture of childbirth. Either they feel lacking confidence coming back and they just go, I can't afford childcare. You know, it, it was just like paying to go to work. So that's one element. Uh, or they don't feel supported coming back or they move out of London perhaps and there's a commute issue. You know, there's so many reasons. But ultimately, a lot of those women, she said, reach out to her again once they've moved out of London, they've given up their job because it was the only option when actually they wanted to retain that huge part of them, right? My little girls, I'm saying, I'm raising them. ABCs, GCSEs, A-levels, that moment, that moment, everybody think right now when you've got that first job, you got that computer, didn't matter what the job was, you were in business and it was huge. And all that just disappears overnight because of an inflexible system that we're sitting in. And so I said to her, well, how do you want to communicate your frustration? Because she said, I think the issue in our business is that there's one rule for one manager who's quite empathetic and then another rule for another one and it's not consistent and I just feel like it's creating tension, it's creating frustration, we're losing great talent. 
And I said, well, have you thought of asking uh, for funding for like an internal podcast? Uh, it doesn't go outside of HSBC because I think a lot of companies would get quite nervous. And she's like, okay. And then we got a strategy together. She pitched it to HR director. And every month she interviewed as a HR assistant, took her one hour uh, that her boss afforded her part, as part of this, interviewing minds like yours, you know, Fawcett Society, Jolie Brearley from Pregnant Then Screwed, me getting these voices into her business. And then she wrote into the managerial contracts that this was with her boss, that every manager every month had to listen to this one hour podcast. So she affected change by reaching out. We talked about it and it might not be me. It could be uh, for me, it was Sophie Walker, uh, the former leader of the Women's Equality Party. I reached out to her and I said, how do you keep going through all the trolling? Cause I'm drowning. And she helped me build up an armor going, keep focusing. This is where you've got to go. People are going to hate you. Guys are going to say, you're one of those mums who probably puts their kids in an Uber and sends them to nursery. I'm like, I would if they take them. A hundred percent, but they won't. So let's not make assumptions. Um, and I think it's just to try and give maybe an understanding in that example that no... No voice or no position is too small to make a little bit of change. Because what she did there was take a kernel of frustration. What I've done is taken a kernel of frustration. I put it on Instagram. I said, I can't post about avocado toast anymore. I'm hacked off. I'm very talented. I've lost my job today. Well, not lost it. I've had to walk away from it, which was even worse, because I couldn't make it work around my children. And I'm like, why is this happening? And it opened the floodgates, quite literally. I then started looking into it. How is there information out there that 54,000 women every single year lose their jobs for simply having a baby? How have I only just found this out? It's been whispers in my NCT groups. It's been just quiet assumptions that she'll never come back. It's been somebody coming into a position, right? This is something tangible you can do. When you are covering for someone on maternity leave, if your boss says she's probably not coming back, let's lead with she might be or she will be. You know, turning the dial of language, turning the dial of change, each of us can in those moments, instead of playing into a structure that's pushing predominantly women out and not allowing men to care give, we can each have our voice heard. And I thought, yeah, HSBC, I thought that was a great example. Thank you so much for making that so real. And I think it's a really good moment now to kind of leave, leave all of Anna's wonderful work with you to kind of simmer in your brain and we'll come back to some questions. But I think the thing that I'm taking away is this idea of like a kernel of frustration. Like what, whatever, you can create change if it starts with a kernel of frustration and we can all be accidental activists. Like we don't have to wait for somebody else to do this. We can, you know, get on Instagram. We can start an internal podcast. We can write a blog or share a post. It's Look at me, braless, in a yeah, never fully you dressed. Too, can be honest. <laughs> Anna, thank you so, thank thank you you. so much. Um, and so on the back at the end, so thank you've got you. questions. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, everybody. We would like to introduce you to our second guest this evening, Lucy Aylin. So Lucy is the founder of a hugely fast-growing fashion business called Never Fully Dressed, which um, I have many items in my wardrobe, and this is just an excuse to get some more. I can literally, like, name outfits. and <laughs> She can. I actually can. And the, Lucy's business is really all around inclusivity, so kind of sizes for everybody. It's around sustainability, which I think is, is kind of hard. It's such a focus for yours, but it's mm -hmm. hard in fast fashion. 
attention. And it's also around positivity. Like it is the most positive thing to follow on Instagram. It's like bright and colorful. And like, I'm always like, oh, there's, there's, there's new stuff. And I've been like a fan of the brand for ages. And then I was at a festival earlier this year and I saw Lucy walk past. And I don't think it was very cool to do this, but I basically like left my friends and ran over. And I was like, I really love your brand. And, and your videos are really cool. And I think you're really inspiring. And I think you were very polite. You were really. I was probably drunk. <laughs> I don't know. What... I mean, I was also a little bit drunk. Um, but um, Lisa was very polite and said, thank you very much. And then I was like, right, let's get you on the podcast. Um, so I'm very grateful for that moment. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to Lucy about kind of the business that she has built and kind of what's behind that brand and particularly focusing in on motivation. Like, how do you grow a business that's growing internationally? 1.5 million followers on Instagram. And Lucy also has three children as well. So there's, there's a lot going on, a lot going on in your world. Thank you for thank you for being here and welcome thank to the podcast. So I thought it would be good to start with confidence. Because when I look at your brand and when I experience your brand, I get a sense of confidence. I get a sense of it's colourful, it's bold, it's about empowering women, helping women to be confident in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I wondered for you, where has that confidence come from in yourself and the business and how intentional was it to sort of make that part of your brand, to use to use fashion to empower women and, and help them to be confident? So I don't think I'm confident. I'm sitting here like I feel nervous. Um, I think it's just quite genuine. Even when people are on set with us, like we were shooting today, and I think it's just so genuine in our love for people. And I think women are amazing and just making them realise that. Do you know what I mean? I used, to, I used to downplay what I did. I was a bit embarrassed, like, oh, I just make clothes. Do you know what I mean? But actually... If you've got a mum, a heart surgeon, whatever you're doing, if we give that little bit of confidence, you see when someone walks out of a changing room and they just stand different and a smile is a little bit, you're never fully dressed without a smile. Yeah, buy the clothes, but I don't really care what you're wearing as long as you wear that confidence and that smile. is just beautiful to see in someone, to see a woman, a man who, like feel that about themselves and realise how amazing they already are. We're just a bit of a through road to, to them getting there. And I saw as well, like, because you started your business uh, like a market store, right? And then I think a big part of what I see in the brand, like the really clever stuff, if you watch all the reels, it's like you'll take like a, like, does anyone like watch the wrapping of the skirts of Nelly dress? Like you have such a skill with how you do it. But I think, and, and then you'll turn a skirt into like a dress. And I mean, I'm, I might, I try to do this at home. House, three bedroom you, light house, two up, two down. Yeah. You, yeah. you make it look very easy. Yeah. And I did not, I, I've tried it and it's not that easy. Um, but I, I think the way that you also, you don't, not everyone has to look the same. You're like, well, take this and do this with it. Like you help people to kind of adapt. And that's, I think how you're giving people that power to create something that makes them feel confident is, is really positive yeah I think we we design and fit in that way it kind of was an accident I think when it started so when I used to do the market stalls I didn't come from a design background I could make a big oversized shape so everything was one size but kind of oversized so then you'd have different people coming to the store and it'd be how do you make that work for you it was quite see-through so okay my mum might wear it with a cami and jeans or whatever someone trendy might just wear knickers or belt it or it was just bringing out that creativity in a customer, in someone and making it their own. So a bit of a canvas like that. And then now we've come a long way. Now we do a kind of a zero to a, a two to a 30. I say we design in that way. So from January, every dress is designed to be worn back to front for nursing, for like breastfeeding. And it kind of started as a bit of a hack. If you've got a zip back dress, you wear it back to front and then you've got, we'll place the print so it works, but you can then 
have access, do you know what I mean, and breastfeed, so stuff like that. So it's making the necklines different or making elements of flexibility or channels or how you can change it. That's in the design process now. So again, if you like that print, but you're not a high neck person or whatever it is, like just giving them those um, flexible elements to make it work for their body. But I think it's very different to normal fashion where we're supposed to kind of fit into one thing and that's supposed to work for everybody. I think you're designing that inclusivity first. It's kind of your, your products are designed with that in mind. Yeah, everyone, they're the beautiful thing. It's not you're part of someone else's story. Do you know what I mean? To not think of your brand or your business or whatever you're doing as the main event. Do you know what I mean? I'm playing part in whatever, in everyone else's life. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, making it work for them I think and everyone's individuality is the beautiful thing how but I find any form of elitistness boring I mean whether it's yeah whatever it is it makes its challenges as well because I think we do appeal to such our audience is so wide so then especially on social and stuff still trying to make it resonate with specific customers is a challenge but amazing that do you know I mean that you stand I say we've just opened a shop in New York and you're in the change room and our customers are so diverse it's amazing and they're all it's just like a big cheerleading thing like all the customers are coming out and they're all just celebrating each other it's so beautiful like, it's pleasure it's like Beyonce an honor as well has yeah, been yeah and Beyonce and like Tess Daly this weekend on Strictly yeah, like you know, you know like it's a, I'll shout I'll shout yeah, thank you, you thank you <laughs> um but it's yeah it's I say humbling, like to be a part of. You'll have women in in the New York store, like crying. Like, so you can't if you're over a UK sixteen. There's nowhere to, you can't physically shop anywhere in New York. There's a crap selection in Nordstrom, for example. But there's nowhere to shop. So yeah, you have people in tears, like in the store, being like, "Oh my gosh, like thank you." Which I, do you know what I mean, I, I, it's not me. Like it, like it's a we're all doing that. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful to see women just loving, like celebrating each other. And Lucy, you can hear in your the way you're describing running your company, your passion and your drive. But running a company is hard, right? Unless you've got magic formula you're about to tell us, which I would very much appreciate. <laughs> magic secret formula. Yeah. But it's it's relentless, it's hard work, you make mistakes, things go wrong. How do you find your way through those what we sometimes describe those those knotty moments when things are really hard, when it feels really tough? And yeah, there's all the upside, which is which is brilliant. But there are also the kind of the late nights, the and I'm imagining particularly with anything to do with fashion and supply chain, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah, I think like anything, really, just bring it down to simple steps. Do you know what I mean? Like my dad, when we used to go running, like he'd say to me, "You're literally, if you think you've got to do X amount of miles, but all you have to focus on in that moment in time is just putting one foot in front of the other, and then you get there." So the tight, like tiny, small changes, I think, are what get you there a bit like Anna said there's not one thing that you are proud of or whatever for me it's just resilience I think it's so such a key thing that I th I think I don't see it as much in maybe people coming through in the workforce I think it's uh, maybe an older fashioned thing I just think resilience is really key and something we should yeah install in our kids or um what's her name Sarah Blakely you know the founder of Spanx I think she's amazing but when she used to come home from school her dad would say, what did you fail at today? And if they didn't have anything to say, it'd be like, what, what waste of a day? Do you know I mean, I think it's um, changing your mindset on how you see not failure. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not really a thing. It's just learning points. So all of those things that are wrong, like I've got a sticker on my phone, a, a smooth sea never made for a good sailor. So all of those things that are wrong, there's, it's just changing your mindset on not, not seeing them as setbacks or 
disappointments or failures, they're all just all part of that process. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think sometimes it's so easy when things go wrong to think if something's failed, I'm a failure versus if something fails, oh, well, I'll never fail to learn. And I think that's such a big mindset shift. And certainly we get used to things going wrong. And it's really hard not to sort of blame yourself or not to think, well, you know, beat yourself up and you become your own worst critic. And I hear that from people all the time that they are so hard on themselves. Whereas I think if we sort of have that, almost your attitude is very inclusive as well as your clothes. You're like, well, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody is perfect. But actually, if, we, if we're pushing ourselves, we're going to be even more imperfect. But then we're probably going to learn more yeah. as a result. I think a few things there. I was, when I was running, we change it. We, we support Tommy's. We're, we're training for a marathon for for Tommy's. So, um, I was running this rap song, and at the start of it is like, no one asks for perfection, just honesty. So I think as long as you approach anything, like if some crazy thing has gone wrong in the office, if someone comes to me and goes, "This is what's wrong," okay, cool. How do we deal with that? Rather than finding out that something went wrong and someone wasn't up front, I think as long as you come to anything with honesty, okay, cool. We've lost a massive account or you've done that okay how do we maybe not do that next time or how do we work around that and I think another thing like I know when you ask for the show of hands what are we here to money or meaning or motivation for me at this stage in my life that meaning point is quite important for me and I come to work yeah to learn rather than earn and I think that for me installing that in our team as well on just that whole journey is the most enjoyable exciting um I love learning, whatever it is. I think that's what keeps me motivated. So I'm quite fascinated. Sarah and I were debating about whether I was allowed to ask this question because I'm quite that's fascinated. That's what you are. Uh, <laughs> looks, ask me no questions. Looks like I'm, I'm asking you no lies. Um, <laughs> about like designing your day. So I'm always really, because you are, you know, you're, you're growing the business. You've got the team. You know, your business is international. So things are happening all over the day. You've got big social media. Don't believe anything you kids. see. Well, they say believe nothing of what you hear. Half of what you see, no, nothing of what you read, whatever it is, yes, I don't believe anything okay, you see on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess my question is, how, how do you design your day so that it works well for you? Like, how do you prioritise? How do you plan? How do you get all this stuff in, in a day? Um, I did, do you know the quote, do you, know I mean? you, have in, you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce does. Do you know what I mean? If someone can achieve something, it's doable. A bit like what you said, you start you, what difference you want to make. And I think you subconsciously, again, sorry, I'm dropping a lot of people, Margaret Thatcher, not if you wonder, but they say start thinking something, then it moves into words, you start saying it, then you start doing it, and then you start being it. So I think you just change that mindset of, yeah, what you want to achieve. I think I'm just, I'm probably not stable enough to ever be bored or mentally stable, do you want me to have time on my hands, so I just make sure I'm busy all the time. So, but like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm just going to be busy today, or you're like, I wake no, up... No, it's just we're like... so much to do, I suppose. You know, I've, a good, I've got a good nanny. Like, okay, so yeah. I've got a good nanny. Um, exercise for me, if yep. we're talking practically, exercise for me, getting up. I'm trying to get up earlier. I think I don't enjoy when I'm, when I wake up with the kids... That's not, you're not in a good mindset when you're waking up. So I'm trying, and again, I'm not perfect. So of course I do this and I don't do it. But when I, I try to wake up before the kids and then you feel in a different mindset, whether you just stretch for 10 minutes or some form of physical activity or a run or whatever, I compartmentalise my time and my mind, I think. So you're present in what you're doing. Practically, like the to-do list, I'm fascinated by to-do lists. I love a list. I've got lists within lists. My dad used to be the same. I probably inherited it from him. I used to drive me to work in his van and he would have, like, post-it notes all (laughs) over the dashboard. Like, I like a list. If someone new joins us at work and 
I'm talking, I probably don't do this, when I used to like talk them through what they're doing and they're not writing stuff down, I'm a bit like, you're not going to last long. Like, just, like, are you writing this down? Like, this is gold, so do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would write everything, everything so down. like looking over the Zoom screen, like, can I see a bit? Is, is, is this being written down? Yeah, yeah. Even now, if I'm in a meeting, like, I've got people that do that now. now I'm like, um, <laughs> is someone writing this down? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as I know it's been written, then I can scribble things out or then I'll move things into another list or yeah it needs to be in a tangible yeah okay tangible I write yeah still like an old-fashioned write things down yeah and so Lucy as your business has grown you know it's grown fast and it's really big and it's really global what do you think has helped you to sort of encourage everybody to stay as motivated and as committed to your vision you articulate and have such clarity about your brand and what makes you feel great about it and the difference that you're making, like listening to you, you know, you're a founder that cares, that, that's really clear. But it's very different when maybe, maybe it's someone's first job. Maybe they're, you know, they're sitting in front of their laptop for the first time and so they are inevitably not going to feel naturally that same sense of connection. So how do you engage now and motivate people working in lots of different ways in different parts of the world who probably weren't there at the start? I'm guessing most of them weren't there at the start. No, yeah, I struggled with that. We do have quite a few who were there when, yeah, when we started. And they've grown, I think, pre-COVID, there were probably 10, 12 of us. And I found that quite easy. We were in a small office. Everyone was on board and everyone knew the brand. It was just in everyone's DNA. COVID, we grew quite a lot. And then coming back into the office, I struggled with that and I think we were such a, a bigger beast then we were hiring and people were coming from more corporate backgrounds and I think for me to establish and being able to communicate what we were as a brand I, I don't think I was great at then we've actually just got a new non-exec like who kind of sits between myself and management now which has been a bit of a breath of fresh air so now it's about us installing that in our top management so I think it's making sure that you somehow it filters down with everyone if you can't then do that with every level making sure your management are all on board and then their next level of management so I think it's about filtering it down that way and about having we were arranging actually for the first time a bit of a strategy day that sounds quite corporate but on making sure we do communicate those values yeah I think what's really refreshing to hear from you there is that you asked for help you know, that you don't feel like you have to solve but I didn't it do yourself. that for a long time, I think. Even my sister works in... She's got a real job, like, works in the city. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, and she used to always want to talk to me about the finances. And so, and I think I used to shun it quite a lot. I think that's maybe being a woman. Do you know what I mean? I think only now I think, OK, I'm happy to do something like this or talk. I think I'm OK at what I do. Like, I'm knowledgeable enough to talk about it. But I wouldn't have done that before. I would have just been, like, oh, I'm just really lucky like, yeah. being where I am. Not um, sort of owning your talent. Like, yeah, no, you did, like, I've never it. done that. And I used to see it. It was only then when we kind of were exploring. So we're self-funded, like I own it. We've never had investment or anything. And when I was exploring that for the first time, like, I was sitting there just with like these middle-aged white men offering you money, thinking like you didn't, I didn't feel confident mm -hmm. in, okay, this is why we're so amazing. And actually making that decision to be like, no, I, I can do this. I know... Um, what we need or whatever but yeah that confidence thing probably is only just it's still probably still there, there clearly yeah. but yeah yeah but we're, we're getting there yeah. yeah and I would guess there are probably quite a few people here who have a business idea have something that they think they might like to get off the ground at some point mm -hmm. but that transition from working for other people mm -hmm. uh, to working for yourself can feel 
really scary. It often feels quite hard to at least let go of the idea of the security and stability mm-hmm. that perhaps being employed offers you. Yeah. But then you talk to so many people and they're like, oh, well, I've got this idea. Or I could do this thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Helen and I both had that experience of it, it took us a long time to sort of yeah. let go of what we were doing before to have to basically own our talents in a way that we thought, are they going to be transferable to something different? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to anyone here who has got that niggle of a business idea but perhaps hasn't quite got started yet. So I've never really worked for anyone else, so I've not had that transition. <laughs> I was a waitress, do you know what I mean? I was a, I'm a failed actress. So I didn't, um, hence why I'm so nervous of why, like... No wonder you didn't make it on stage. Um, <laughs> um, just to, uh, We were talking earlier on, I think we're so lucky with social now that, that that bedroom business can be a thing. When I first started, there was no Instagram, do you know what I mean? Like, I was at the market. That was my route to market of getting product out there, talking to people. So now you've got social media. Like, how amazing. When I first started, or I'll say even before that, you used to have to have a big budget to get a, to go and do an advertising campaign or whatever it is, whereas now you can really, like you say, like have that honest voice and a community builds. Things can really spread on social, which I think if you use it wisely and that honesty piece that we were talking about, I think if something roots in that, and now with algorithms, whether they're good or bad, but they people can find that. I think honing first on that real niche thing that you are, because those communities are tight and are, are really supportive, and it can grow from there. So I think we're really lucky that you've got that. Use those small networks on all... I mean, there's so many channels now, and maybe where, you're, where you think your community are, maybe it might not be Instagram, it might be a different channel or a different community or something. Start there, build small and get a stronger army of community and then they'll tell you if it's crap like we're so lucky our, our followers and stuff are so honest um and then you know whether to just give up i mean i think it's tough as well when you're really passionate about something and people are like follow your dream like, no you're not very good at it <laughs> so you've got to have a level of honestly have a mum like me and you, yeah you'll you won't um How we delve today. on that too much yeah yeah but um yeah Go for it. I just think, I mean, life's too short. Like we say, just go for As long as it's a good idea. Go for it, yeah. Or you're good at it, yeah. <laughs> Having you two, working with you two, I think I'd be like, oh, God, must, must be better. Must be better. <laughs> uh, the pressure, the pressure. Oh, okay. um, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing the journey with us. And I'd like to volunteer, if you ever want some, like, squiggly learning for your team... Yeah, amazing. Love, you know I would. Yeah, you know I'd love I would love, love it. We should do that. I'll get close to the clothes. Oh, oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, we'll trade you. <laughs> I mean, if you poach it, I'll be absolutely furious. <laughs> Yeah, please. I'd love to. Done, I'd love to. Done. It's a done yeah. deal. Ask someone to so step cool. on stage and no one says no. That's my <laughs> Or at a festival. That was a bad idea. <laughs> so don't follow through with that. Um, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing you. your story Sorry, with us and talking use. to us about the growth of the business and kind of what motivates you to keep going. And very much looking forward to following even, even more success. Um, thank you so much. Well team. done. You're amazing. Thank, thank you, you, Lucy. You're really inspiring. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, our final guest for this evening. We are now going to get on to money. What stops you talking about pay? Before I do my introduction to Peter, I'm actually going to start by asking Peter that question. What do you think stops people talking about pay? I think it's uh, taboo to talk about money for whatever reason, even more so in the workplace. And I think a lot of organisations have it written in the contract that you're not supposed to. So on top of all of the reticence of trying to find out whether you're the best paid or the least paid uh, in your team, that HR kind of angle is also an input into the conversation as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think there's a lot of fear. And also, I think it's sort of that societal pressure of yeah. maybe particularly, I don't know if it works across every country, but sort of when you're British, like, oh, no, we wouldn't. That's not something we would talk it's about. It's very impolite, isn't it? That's what yeah. I've discovered. You just don't talk about money or anything like that. Stiff up a lip and all that. Yeah, yeah. And so Peter and I met in a Welsh field, which is never how I start any story. Uh, but we were both in Wales, in deepest, darkest Wales, right? Indeed, it's really yeah. far. Yeah. Um, and we went to something called Do Lectures. And if you've not come across Do before, Do Books, uh, the podcast they do, the talks they do, they're always incredible, very inspiring. Um, and I was there listening and heard Peter talk about money in a way where I thought... It's so, so refreshing to have somebody who is so open and prepared to talk about this, you know, pretty taboo topic of money. And I think when we talk about squiggly careers, I think it's an area that is actually underexplored. I don't think like we've, we've done as much as we would like to. And I think so often it feels like there's a bit of a compromise. And so that's where I want to start. I think a lot of people have a sense of, I've got to make a choice. It's either meaning or money, mm-hmm. but I can't have both. And I just wondered whether you feel like from the conversations that you've had and all the organisations you've worked with, do you think that is still a pretty binary choice? So, you know, we've got one or the other. Or do you think there is a sort of happy medium to be found? I think for most people, there is kind of this dichotomy of you can't have both. But I've learned that you can. And I think meaning is even more important when it comes to the to the reality of money, uh, particularly with how we deal with it on a day to day basis. Um, I do a lot of work. My my. My profession is I'm a qualified financial advisor. I stepped away from that, though. I don't advise anymore. And the reason why I did that was because through 17 years in financial services, there was so much that I picked up. Like, And for me, I was starting to ask myself, why didn't I know about any of this when I was 18, 19, 20 years old? The difference it would have made to me would have been huge. And through the years, being a financial advisor and certainly doing what I do now with my podcast, my YouTube channel and all the the books that I've written, one thing I've learned is that meaning is integral to how you interface with money. And so I'll talk a little bit about, you know, uh, behavioral psychology. And I, I spoke about this at the farm. What is your first memory of money? Like, seriously, think about that. 
Um, in my book, I talk about the fact that my first memory of money was when I was six years old. I was fostered from three months to eight years old because my parents are Nigerian. They came over here in the 70s. And back then, what they used to do is they used to put an ad in the paper and ask families just to apply and look after their kids. And that's what they did with me. There was no safeguarding, nothing. It was absolutely crazy. I was very, very lucky with the foster parents that I ended up having. But my first lesson was, you know, at our dinner table, Every single night we were eating beans on toast, uh, you know, spaghetti hoops, whereas my mate next door, Glenn, his mum was, uh, she just cooked amazing. It was like Nigella Lawson was in there. It was absolutely mad. The aromas come out of the kitchen. But at six years old, I started to realise, well, actually, they can afford better dinners than we can. And that little idea right there set in a mindset of scarcity. And that is hugely hugely impactful when you get into adulthood because one of two things tend to happen for me at least let me speak about my experience when I got into Canary Wharf and I don't have a university degree I started working for an investment house there out of the blue I say out of the blue it was luck and a little bit of hard work um I started to earn money that I never thought I was ever going to earn. I was homeless. And then to be in a position where I'm earning, you know, £100,000 a year, I'm going, I'm going mad. Like my, my idols were the rappers of the 90s. And those guys were all about gold chains and luxury cars and all of this, this physical, ostentatious display of wealth. So I thought that that's what it's supposed to be. And for me, my scourgacy mindset then meant that when I started earning decent money, I replicated that. I basically treated it as though, right, I might not have this for a while, so I've got to spend this and enjoy it whilst it lasts. And that's hugely counter counterproductive when it comes to, you know, how you interface with money. And meaning is so important because unless you have a reason why you're doing what you're doing, my saying is money is a tool, life is for living. The only function of money is to help you build the life, create the environment for you to do the things that you want to do and enjoy the things that you want to enjoy in life for the brief time that we are here. It's no more complicated than that, really, honestly. And having meaning allows you to channel what you do with money. It gives you purpose. It gives you a clear path of what you actually need to use that money for from a practical point of view. And if you think when Peter and I were chatting before this, I didn't ask him about my mortgage, I was like, but you were a financial advisor for quite a long time. Just going to, you know, just a few specific questions that the audience might be interested in, like making some surreptitious notes about the things I've not done. Um, and I think we were, so Peter was talking to me about, you know, your relationship with money, um, you know, it comes from sort of these memories you have. And actually, one of the things that I definitely have is sort of an avoidance mindset. And in lots of ways, you're like, it doesn't sort of make sense, but it goes back to me thinking, oh, but I'm not very good at maths. And so because I'm not very good at maths, I can't add up very well in my head. I'm just going to avoid this as a topic and be very head in the sand about it. Also, my partner of 25 years is an accountant. So I was like, that's not for me. Also, he's very good at everything I'm not. And so, you know, when you see sort of what you're not and then it really sort of reinforces, you just think, oh, well, I'm just not going to go anywhere near it. Uh, and then I think that was just sort of reinforced for me by actually being very passive. So I was like, actually, even from one conversation, I realised from talking to people, I was like, right, I avoid it. I've been really passive. You know, we talk all the time about encouraging people, take ownership, take control of your career development. And then I sort of started to think, same for money. Actually, if you want to make your money kind of work for you and for your life and for your career, you have to have that same sense of ownership. And I think I was sort of hoping someone else was going to do the hard work for me. So slowly but surely... This year, I've been trying really hard to like 
you know, ask the questions that you feel really scared about. And one of the things that, um, Peter, you were talking to me about was the relationship between work, well-being and money. And I wondered if you could just talk to everybody a little bit more about that, because I think sometimes those things aren't connected. And yet, from the work that you've done and the organisations that you spend time with, you can see, you know, we all know that, you know, if you can't pay your rent, it's very hard to be motivated at work. Yeah. I mean, there is a huge movement, I think, certainly since the pandemic and lockdown, for organizations to be more proactive in helping their employees be more productive and at least have a better approach from a practical point of view with money. Now, that's hard because I speak to a lot of these companies and like, well, we can't offer pay rises. We can't do that for everyone. We'll go bankrupt. So I'm like, eh, well, depends how big you are. You probably could, but you don't want to because of policy. And so there's a huge um, sort of impetus on, on employees right now to do the right thing. But really, when you start to look at the data from a corporate point of view, and this is the stuff that I always try and relay to companies, we know that if people, their employees, are either stressed about money, worried about money, they are less productive, they feel like actually we're going to up and leave, and the number for that is actually they're 1.5 times more likely to just go look for another job. Um, we know that they struggle to retain new employees as a result of that, and productivity basically drops. And in the private sector, 2019, this is before the pandemic, it cost the private sector £1.5 billion. I would love to know what that number is for 2020, 2021. We don't have that data out just yet. So we know that in the workplace, it is a huge concern. And so for, for employees, what I tend to do is we, we go in and we do workshops. And I said, look, there are very, very quick wins that a lot of employers can basically use. I mean, a lot of them will have employee benefit schemes, and that will include a whole host of benefits that you will be entitled to. But the problem is, like all things when it comes to things like money, it's poorly communicated. Nobody really understands what this X benefit here looks like or what it basically means, what it translates to. And I guess if you're in a position at the moment where you're looking at your workplace and you're thinking, actually, you know what, I've got a few things that I need to sort out here and that's taking your mind off work, you know, ask the question, what is in the employee benefits package because a lot of the time there's some really really good stuff in there that you may not even realize i mean we talked about childcare a little bit earlier on how expensive is that i mean i don't have Very. kids yet i don't have kids yet but my mate mike he's got kids and he tells me how much it costs and i'm just like wow it's unbelievable like wowzers but there are some employee benefits that will be able to offer some help towards that and the thing is we don't talk about any of this eloquently enough because it's too scary, it's too taboo. And I like to think that that is slowly changing, but there are quick quick wins within the workplace. You know, the worst thing you can do is go into work and not be able to communicate with your employer. I'd like to think that that's changing. They know that they need to create a safer space these days, but it is gonna be a work in progress. But ask, ask smart questions. That's one of the things that I wish that I'd learned when I was 18, 19 years old. I didn't even know the questions to, ask, to, to be asked, to be honest, because I, I was in a bank where the bank offered me a credit card and then I was thinking, hey, you know, I'm an adult now. This is what adults do, right? Um, little did I know, so naive, so <laughs> naive. So on the point about being naive, what are some of the classic money mistakes that you see people make kind of time and time again that you get a bit frustrated because you just feel like, oh, if people only knew dot, 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 
they would put themselves in a much better position and you know give themselves some of that that ownership and that control over their money what are the kind of couple of things where you, you just where where would you start if maybe somebody here is feeling similar to me where you're like oh this feels scary feels very intimidating I've not got much practice um like how do we kind of go from maybe making some of the classic mistakes to actually feeling like we're starting to take control right, this is a really good question and um I'm going to answer this just by pointing out something that is almost a, so, a social norm for us. And it goes back to a little bit of what I talked about earlier on around your earliest memory of money and what kind of belief that instills in you. And trust me, there is so much value in trying to answer that question for yourself. It took me years to be able to understand it for me. And it was through the process of writing my book through the back end of last year that I really started to dig deep and really started to think about how I broke some of my own bad habits associated with my scarcity mindset. But if you can really think about what are the triggers that make you make the, the, the financial decisions that you do? And where does that actually come from? So the silliest thing, one of the silliest things that I've done is I would, I would literally, I'm an impulsive spender, even to now, but I've learned how to control it. But I didn't have any control over it. So what I would do is in Canary Wharf, like bonus day, like everyone's celebrating. You go out and you go and buy a thousand pair, pound pair of trainers. That's just, it's normal stuff. And for me, I look at it now and I'm so ashamed to even say that, but it's because of social norms. The social norm of, and everyone will, will hopefully be able to kind of align themselves with this. A lot of people, or at least I did, we keep up with the Joneses. So we buy certain things because either, oh, my mate or my next neighbor, next door neighbor's got this, and we forget the real question, do we need it? Do we need it or do we want it? Knowing the difference between wants and needs is very, 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 very important. And also alongside that, trying to be intentional. This is where I talk about meaning. Meaning is so, so important. I do a lot of talks around the psychology of money, what it really means when you think about your beliefs. So for me, it was scarcity. People will talk about having an abundance mindset. That's great, but it can be also very, very counterintuitive and actually quite damaging, more so than having a scarcity mindset. Really understanding where that actually comes from and digging down, in, down into it. For me, I think most people don't really have a clear distinction between wants and needs, but most of all, people don't actually have any idea of what their meaning, what their goal is. Why are you here? What do you want this to be all about? Why do you go to work on a nine to five every single day? Most people go to work and they absolutely hate it. They hate their boss, they hate their colleagues, they hate everything about it. You wake up on a Sunday morning, I've been there, wake up on a Sunday morning and you are dreading the fact that you've got to wake up on a Monday. So what is all this for? And I think for me, and especially from a psychological point of view, when you really dig deep into the psychology of this, the decisions you have to make with money and finances, just in life generally, the decisions are so much more easier to understand and clearer to know once you have a compass that is guiding you. And that compass is the meaning. So understanding that really is the main thing for me. And we can talk about practical things around money, budgeting. You know, we can talk about having an emergency fund and avoiding debt and all this kind of stuff. It means nothing without that fundamental anchor around what is this all about? What is this meaning? What is the goal for? And we talk about habits. Habits are so hard to break. You can try and control them half the time, but new habits are 
easier to form than breaking old habits. And how do you form new habits? By having some kind of tangible goal that you're working towards that instills a practice action that you repeat in order for it to become a habit and when it comes to your finances that is so so important my partner said to me the other day we've started saving now so my little boy is six and because we'd had our conversation my, my partner tom was like who is this peter guy why are we now saving for max to go to university and i was like well because i want him to have the option i don't care if he doesn't want to go but I was like, but if we're going to support him, if we start now, it can be a little amount of money every month versus where am I going to find this money? By that point, I want to be, I don't know, doing a PhD or something completely different. So I want to give myself options. So I think what you helped me to do just from our conversation is connecting the dots between really zooming out. So what matters to you? What really motivates you? It matters to me that Max has options and choices. I sort of don't really mind what they are, but I just want him to have options and choices. And then really zoomed into, okay, well, what does that mean I need to do today? And could I find that money every month by spending a bit less on, let's face it, Amazon? Um, yes, probably. So yeah. it gets you to some really helpful conclusions. Um, I do want to talk about pay rises because I think we should. Yeah. And um, I was thinking about what really helped me to get more confident having conversations about money with people who are in positions of power where you probably are further down the hierarchy than they are. And I think it was because I saw it role modelled very well. So I was very lucky to work for one leader who created a really safe space for conversations around money, was very objective about it, very practical. And actually going back to Anna's point, really encouraged me to own my talents. She was like, well, don't be apologetic about your worth. Actually be confident about it we don't need to be arrogant but be confident about what you what your worth is and what you bring and talk about what it is that that you want you know what does that look like and part of that is is your pay and so I think she almost sort of taught me to do it even though she was sort of the, the person that I was asking but I think for a lot of people they're not in that position so if someone is listening um today and they're thinking I need to have that conversation with my manager but I'm dreading it and when I show up I do lose all of my confidence I forget all of my good stuff like what are some of the things that you've seen work really well in that moment where you are asking an individual and then broadly an organization to pay you more money maybe you feel like you're underpaid maybe you feel like you're not paid in terms of parity versus your peers maybe you know that there are often ways and means and I think then people are kind of going well I know that my value isn't being represented and so I, I need to have that often what feels like an incredibly awkward and hard conversation yeah. Yeah. Look, I'll talk about this from experience as well. So I worked in Canary Wharf between 2012 and 2017. And I started off as a telephone boy on the phones, making phone calls, trying to get people into meetings with the guys out on the road. And those guys out on the road were the ones making all of the money. They were making some serious cash. So I started on, I think it was £28,000 at that point in 2012. And through five years, I worked my way from a telephone boy all the way up into the executive team of this company, which is a Fortune 100 company. So this is how I approached it. Um, I think whenever you enter into any kind of conversation around pay or any conversation that means that you're taking a jump up and you want a adequate amount of compensation to represent the new position that you're taking and the work that is required, it's important to be prepared, really prepared. 
So for me, what I did is I knew where I was in terms of my position, my input, and my productivity and what I brought to the business. In five years, I was responsible for 120 million quid's worth of business. So I took that and said, look, this is what I bring to the table. I know for a fact that I'm better than this person, that person, this person. This is my name in the league tables for the past six months. Demonstrable evidence really, really helps you in those kind of conversations. Now, the first thing that you have to get over is the nerves that you're actually speaking to someone who's a little bit higher up than you. And I think ultimately, you've got to be a little bit tactful. You can't go in there war and peace. You know, you've got to pick whether you're going to be passive aggressive versus aggressive or just you're going to be, I don't, don't be passive, because passive just means they can just tell you no, and that's it. Let them know that you mean business. Be prepared. One of the worst things you can do in that kind of situation is also walk into that meeting having never rehearsed what you are going to say. Like, speak it. Like, really speak it. Rehearse it to yourself in the, in the mirror. Be like, okay, these are the points that I want to make. This is the evidence I'm going to lay out. This is the narrative around it. This is my ask. Don't ask before you show the evidence. Give them all the reasons why you want a pay rise, why they should give you a pay rise, then ask for the pay rise. And also, don't be shy to tell them as well. In the end, for me, I had to go, listen, I've been waiting for this promotion. You said no to me three times, giving it to people that didn't really deserve it. The numbers were way lower than mine. So if at the fourth time of trying, and I've asked you, what is it that I need to fix? What do I need to improve? I've done all of it. I can evidence that I've done all of it. If at that point you tell me no, I'm going to go find some, somewhere else to go work, someone else who will see my value. And it's crazy to me that in the, in, in the corporate structures and, and in workplaces right now, a lot of the time you have to leave a business to go to another place to get a pay rise. It's, it's crazy to me. Like Just think about the talent that is lost in workplaces because of that one stupid HR policy. It's absolutely nuts to me. But... If you are, you've got to articulate it properly, but be bold. Demonstrate your value in any way, shape that you can. Be assertive with it, but actually say, look, this, these are my expectations. This is what I want. If you know that a colleague is being paid more than you, say, I know that this person or a number of people in the team are being paid more than me. I would like to be on parity with them. I want a little bit more. And look, if this isn't something that you're going to be able to do, this isn't matching my livelihood, this isn't matching what I need to do for my family, for my goals, I'll have to go find somewhere else. And at least then you've put all of your chips on the table and you can start to negotiate from there, hopefully. But really, if a company, after all of that, doesn't want to hear what you have to say, then I question whether you're in the right place in the first place. Yeah, I think that's uh, very good advice. And I think the one thing that, two things actually that really stuck with me is say it out loud, so practice it but also see it as a series of conversations. I think one of the things that I always found difficult was I'd put too much pressure on myself to like solve everything in one conversation. I'd be like, Peter's my manager. We need to have this uh, conversation. It's going to be really intense and we're going to resolve everything in the next 30 minutes yeah. in the middle of a Monday. And, and actually, I think once I sort of let go of that, and actually then when I was leading teams and maybe people were having the conversation with me, I started to recognise actually I was certainly much more effective because I think you do have to do this in a way that feels authentic to you. And I'm not a combative conversationalist. Yep. You know, I sort of I want I do want a more collaborative approach that works better for me. So then I sort of thought, well, actually over the next month, I'm gonna have a series of conversations with my manager, HR about this. I'm not gonna solve it all at once. But also to your point, I'm gonna have a deadline in mind. And so actually if something doesn't change by this point, 
I am going to think about doing things differently. Um, and I think your point is so important. Oh, we talk a lot to organisations about this idea of squiggle and stay, like why you should want to keep people in your organisations. Because as you said, like losing people, it costs so much to get somebody new in your organisation and then to get people up to speed. There's an incredible amount of research that just shows just how long the learning curve is when somebody is new versus actually if you just move internally and maybe you give somebody a pay rise as a result, maybe they've transferred their talents or they're doing something different, actually their learning curve is much, much quicker. Yep. So I think there's, it's like a win for everyone, but I think sometimes that short-termism and also just what we've all got used to and the default policies feels too hard to, to sort of challenge. So I think we all need to have that kind of challenger mindset. Yeah, and for a lot of a lot of employers, it's a risk bringing someone in and losing talent that they know already know. And it, it's also worthwhile just noting in in the corporate space when it comes to career, you know, people who are more assertive get ahead. If you don't ask, you don't get. That's simply how it works. And on that note, thank you, Peter. We just want to close out. You had a chance to chat to each other about your best pieces of career advice. And whenever we do Ask the Expert episodes, we always kind of ask people, like, what's your best piece of career advice? And Sarah and I are, like, furiously writing notes down. So we thought we would close out today's conversation um, just going with people's, like, your, your best piece of career advice to, to inspire us and to inspire the audience. So, Anna, we'll start with you. What are your words of wisdom? Uh, well, the first one was what I said is that I think don't underestimate, like you said, the people that can help you. So use ego to your advantage. Um, but the main one is probably focus maybe on the area, the, the space, the industry, the company that you want to be in and get as close as you can. Don't expect to hit target straight away. I came into Haymarket Publishing as a sales executive on Planning Magazine. And I knew once I got a little foothold in there, I then emailed the editorial director every day relentlessly until he just thought, this is harassment, and I'm just going to have to see her for five minutes. And then I presented my, like, magazine that I'd created, saying, look, any, any job that comes up in the editorial realm, I won't let you down. And he eventually did. And I think my relentlessness eventually got me in. But I think don't feel like, right, well, if I don't get that job, uh, the specific job uh, in a specific place that I failed or it just feels too big get as close as you can and keep circling circle 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 and then go in sharp yeah like. it's quite it's quite an intense image I know but it's, there you go great, great advice thank you uh, Peter over to you oh man I, I, you know what my career has been so weird it's been really, really weird. I mean, I got my job in a bank because I was told I was on benefit. I was homeless, came on benefits, was told you need to go for this interview. And at that point, I had a lot of debt with credit cards and, and, and checkbooks that I'd bounced. And I was like, I'm not going to get a job at this bank. So I don't really want, I don't, I don't want to have a job there. I got a job 15 years later. You know, I'm doing this now. And what I do now it's a byproduct of my career in financial services. And so I guess my, my advice will be to be open-minded. If someone said to me, you know, in 2019, when I was being headhunted by a discretionary fund manager to go work for them at the beginning of 2020, that I wouldn't be in that company, I'd be doing this online and I'd have a relatively successful business online, having done TV with Anna and I've got a, a book and all this other stuff, I would have been like, nah, you're dreaming. And if I told my 17-year-old self, 18, 19-year-old self, when I was sleeping on the streets that I would be doing this I'd also be saying absolutely not um, so be open-minded I guess but also as you probably gather from the way I speak I'm very very assertive in what I want knowing what I want and be vocal be upfront. if you have a clear understanding of what your goal is go after it 
and be be certain. Be really, really, you know, I wouldn't say forceful, but assertive with what you want. Um, and that, for me, has paid a lot of dividends thus far. Thanks so much. And Lucy, last words to you. Um, they sound serious. I was going to say enjoy it, I think. <laughs> I think enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's, it's short. Do you know what I mean? And within that, like I say, change that narrative of failure. So, like, if you fall off the stage, oh, you've made people laugh. Like that, look for that positive in any <laughs> failure element, whatever it is. Um, so enjoy it. Be kind. Work hard. Like I say, if you're going for a pay rise and you're saying, oh, but Bert next to me is, is earning more than me, work harder than him. Otherwise, you, you've not really got a um, leg to stand on. Yeah, work hard. My best career advice is to always run your own race. And mine is to never live the same year twice. Oh. Mm. <laughs> uh, so that is it for this evening again we really wanted to thank our guests so we can give our guests a massive round of applause for being here And we also really want to thank you for being here tonight. I know it's never easy uh, to come out in an evening. We had lots of debates about, does this work? And we know that there's childcare and people have got babysitters and partners, and um, oh, which we are very grateful for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you for coming to spend some time with us. We hope it's lived up to our value at Amazing If of being useful and that it's felt like squiggly careers, but perhaps that a little bit more and everybody in a room together. We're going to stick around, come and say hi to us. We'd love to see you, but thanks again. Have a lovely evening. Thank you so much, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.